Paul, you're a marketer. I was the CEO of a company. I've done fucking everything <laughs> for three months each. Everything that, that got done by me was done badly, but it was better than not being done at all. And if that process is more than a day, you're in serious trouble. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of CircleCI. I'm Edith Harva, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. The idea of having you know, something that you... Maybe you have a slow delivery cycle for some particular reason, or, or you have a normal delivery cycle, but that that still you know takes a day or whatever because there's code review and, and and that sort of thing. And you want to have something really really fast. You want to have like multiple stages, multiple speeds of delivery based on different needs of different parts of the of the company and that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I get um, I am just so excited about this that I started talking about it. <laughs> I mean, this is really the promise of microservice. Right, right, right. Like the old way was you had this monolith. Mm-hmm. Like I, the best thing I ever heard was a friend called a disgusting monolith, mm-hmm. where everything was all tied together. And if you wanted to change one thing, you had to test everything all together. Right. And we, we, we've all been there, I'd say. Yeah. And it's, it's very painful. Mm-hmm. It's very painful because then you get into this fixed release cycle. Yeah. By decoupling things into different components, that means that you can start iterating on some of them faster than others. Right. Well, one of the questions that you get around microservices is, how do you define microservices boundaries? And you know, a lot of people just go like, "Oh, you make them as small as possible, or, or whatever," which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. But the the ones that have always made sense to me is is that you have service boundaries where where there's different teams or service boundaries when there's needs to deploy the the service at different pace from the services around it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should decompose for the point of decomposing. Right, right, right. Because that, that's when you end up with like eight thousand microservices, yeah, and you're yeah. like, I don't, I don't know what this happens. I think you yeah. should decompose when, as you said, there's a functional reason why something has to move at a different speed. Right, right. So, I mean, the the, the obvious one apart from those two is. That it, it makes logical sense as a dependency for for the APIs to you know, th- this is a good API boundary for for all the things that rely on it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, because that releases you basically from release hell. Yeah, yeah. Because you want to have a logical way that you can say, okay, this this microservices interacts with this one at a certain time in a certain boundary. Right. A really good example I heard is there's this myth that you iterate very frequently on your UI. Okay. And I think this is true if you're in more consumer business where you know you can get you know a million people looking at your app and rapidly mm-hmm. iterate. If you're at a company, if you're a B2B company and you're rolling out to your own customers, they don't actually want to have two people in the same customer have different user experiences. So it's uh, very it's very confusing. They start to get a lot of support calls. So I, I agree with you in the general case, but you know, having used A/B testing, it is an extremely useful tool. You know, to, to to roll features out slowly and that sort of thing. Even even in B two B case, I think it really depends on your B two B because mm-hmm. I've heard some horror horror stories about people who try to do it in B two B and just they get a lot of support calls. Right. You know so, what's what's happening. The button I expect there to be is not there. Yeah. Or uh, we just did a whole lot of training on this last week. Yeah, and and something has changed. Yeah. So I I think one of the things that's really valuable about the the sort of the modern dev tools go to market is that you have both on prem and um, are we just and doing customers. like are we just doing like buzzword bingo now sure 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 so when when you have customers who use both your cloud service and your downloadable software 
The customers who use your downloadable software are the people who are naturally much more conservative. That's or, why they're using your downloadable software in the first place. Yeah, and or, so you can do your A/B testing in the cloud on the cloud customers who are much more early adopters and much more willing to put up with that sort of thing and, and happier to get the the good UX that comes out of it. Even then, like most people don't have sufficient volume to do effective A/B testing. I don't think that's true at all. I think that's very true. No, the I mean, you, you don't have sufficient volume. To do minor A/B testing, like you know, to tell the difference between two different versions of Blue, right? That's something you need Google Scale for. But if you're trying out a new positioning, you have A/B testing, and and, and you look at it and say, like, I, I think the major value that, that that when people complain about A/B testing, the major value that they overlook is that it tells you that you didn't fuck something up. <laughs> I think that yeah, I think A/B testing is is a is a misnomer. I think it's really um risk risk tolerance. Um, right, right, right. So like if, if you're launching a new messaging or a new onboarding page or something like that that you, you think is gonna you know deal with your positioning much better or, or mentions a new product which hadn't been mentioned before, you want a B version that, that was just the old version that tells you you didn't tank your conversions. Yeah, and the dirty secret is that most changes have no effect at all. Right, 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 right. But you want to be sure of that. We launched a, a new beautiful home screen once, um, or or homepage, and it dropped our conversions twenty percent. Yeah, I remember. So my, uh, Paul always teases me because I, I talk about TripIt. Mm-hmm. Like we tried a different footer and it destroyed our conversion. No, a footer. A footer. Did it have a different call to action or removed a call to action or something or provided uh, more calls to action? The footer had a lot of calls to action. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- that was exactly the thing with ours. We had like here's a you can sign up right now or you can read the docs or you can do something else and it ended up that a lot of people go read the docs and then just like forget about us. Yeah, and this is the kind of classic product debate. Then is do you want them to sign up if all they're going to do is read the docs? Mm-hmm. And you can argue about this for hours about yeah. like qualifying leads, well, when to get I, people I, into the funnel. Like. I, I think if you have a drip marketing campaign, you generally want them to cross the line, which gets them into the drip marketing campaign. Paul, you're a marketer. I was the CEO of a company. I've done fucking everything <laughs> for three months each. <laughs> it was the rotation. So uh, if you fucked everything three months each, <laughs> yeah, everything that that got done by me was done badly, but it was better than not being done at all. <laughs> what did you? So what was your rotation? Did you? Did oh, you I ever? Mean, I, I did sales. I did marketing. I did PR. I did UX. I did support. I did everything. What was it like when you were sales? So fortunately, Circle had so much inbound interest and such strong product market fit that sales was like literally having a call with the CFO saying the price is this, and he's like, "Can you lower the price?" Uh, no. All right. Well, thanks. I had a couple of calls that were that were literally that. They they, they brought some like financey person or the manager, and they're like, "We demand a discount." It's like, yeah, this is this is a good price we feel. So do they end up buying? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so some of them like I, I hated giving discounts. I felt like we had a really good price, and it was actually kind of cheap for for the value that customers got out of it. And so when people came for discounts, I was just like, no. It's funny, you know. There's the opposite, which is you should price a little high, expecting that you'll discount. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think for bottom up tools, you, you can't really do that because people won't ask for it; they'll just leave. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the old Oracle way doesn't apply to our to our modern bottom up. I guess. I guess. Do you have a top ten? We have both. Okay. I mean, as soon as you get into a procurement department, like their job is to get a discount. Right, 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 right. So if you don't give them a discount, they feel like they didn't do their job and they're like, yep. what happened here? Yeah, I mean, and that's why you end up, I guess, in the microservice version of the, the sales process is you apply a different sales process to 
to different people and the bottom up people get the price on the website and the the people who go through their procurement department get a get another thing. Yeah. And the fact that you have to talk to the procurement department means that they're getting charged an outrageous price in the first place to, <laughs> to deal with that. I think the word continuous delivery terrifies a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It is funny because we do a podcast called To, to be, be con- Continuous, yeah. I think um, that's what it's called. I mean, let, let me check the label. Yeah. I think people think of continuous delivery as that you have to push out multiple times a day or an hour. I, I saw, when, really, when really it just means that you could, you need to be able to push out when you want. Right, right, right. I've rarely seen a continuous delivery company that does continuous delivery and uses that to mean we're only doing it like when, when we can. Totally. Like I think they all push out every version. I find it extremely rare for people to, to push out. Especially in small companies. No, I mean, maybe I'm, this is small company bias. I'm talking more like at larger orgs, they find continuous delivery terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're like our processes are not set up to have a new version of the UI every day. Sure, sure, sure. Like sure. we don't, we need to go train our support people. We need yeah. to go do this. We need to update this. We need yeah. to update this. So, like to to go back to what you said, I think there's different functions within their systems that mm-hmm. they would like to be updated at different speeds. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you can kind of think of the UI as as one microservice. Yep. You can think of you know, all the other things as different microservices. But the one that I've always found people need to update quickly, but they don't necessarily want to update it repeatedly, is the marketing pages. So, like the entire front end of, of your thing, you, you you'll get to a point when you have marketers. And the marketers asked for the front end, which was beautifully built by developers With in hand lovingly in Jekyll. Or, or <laughs> I mean, I think actually Jekyll is pretty good for them, but like will will typically be built in React or you know whatever the same as your website is. It'll be like nicely unified and and has an excellent release process. And then the marketers would be like, yeah, we don't want to talk to you to to make a to make a change here. We need you to put in the optimizely pixel. Yeah. And could you switch this over to WordPress? Yeah. Because they want to be able to do it themselves. They don't right. want to have to go bug their developers. Yeah. Yeah. Then they end up with a terrible release process from a developer perspective, in that there's there's no staging environment, there's no you know ability to preview your stuff, there's no code review, there's no nice automated releases that have pull requests in them. There's just like someone playing around in WordPress. It could feel the horror in your voice. Well, I think it's it's easy to fuck things up that way, but it's better to only have to rely on your on your team to get something out. Yeah. When you have to start to rely on other teams, you know, that that's when your delivery really gets slow. Yeah. I thought of a classic thing where you want to have very quick releases and it's anything security related. Mm. This is actually one of my my big things is that um you want to be able to constantly patch security vulnerabilities yeah. and yeah. the security vulnerabilities that exist today will be different tomorrow the day after and the yeah, day after yeah, the yeah. day after. You generally want to have a way of dealing with security vulnerabilities immediately. Yes. Even though that is extremely scary and and very very dangerous. But whatever you know today will be different later. Yeah, yeah. We had multiple approaches of of dealing with Different container images because a container image would take like thirty six hours to to roll and and to deploy. So we needed to be able to run something on that image. It was partially for for security. It was partially for user experience. It was partially because sometimes things broke in the ecosystem. But we had the we had the ability to go change. We called it the sudo hack. So you know, a command that would run as sudo, and there was. 30, 40 times where we need to make some change to, to the pseudo hack to, to support something weird that was going on. Yeah, I think a lesson is um, if you have to do a fix, how long does it take you to do it? 
Right. There's the actual fix itself, and there's the then there's the process of getting the fix into production. Yeah, and if that process is more than a day, you're in serious trouble. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if it takes you a day, but you're able to get it patched really quick, I mean, the, the, that's kind of the source of the pat, the word patch, right? Well, that's what it, I mean. If you patch it immediately and then you go fix it, and it takes a day, that's no big deal. Oh, well, yeah, but as long as you can patch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So we ended up at various points with. You know, a very quick process to update our Nginx so that we could filter particular data or filter particular user types and that kind of thing, and a bunch of different like levels to deal with particular security vulnerabilities that might theoretically come up. Not just security vulnerabilities, but also like DDoS and and yeah, just, um, just everything that comes just up. Incidents of whatever kind. Yeah, incidents yeah. that are not your core functionality, but are crucial to be quickly addressed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I think I could break down like different speeds at which you want stuff to update. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like stuff that leaves you vulnerable to the outside world. Yeah. That's kind of like your protective cocoon. If there's yeah. a if there's a hole breach there, you need to repair it immediately. Yeah. Or else you'll end up. Hacked. The problem with those is that you also need to maintain those. Yeah. So you need to have testing around those. You need to you know have people remember how to do them. If you go to use one of those things and no one's touched it in six months and it you know, went stale or bit rotted in some way, then you're then you're even more fucked now. Yeah, especially if you've provided yourself an accidental backdoor or provided your attackers an accidental backdoor. Yeah, and then there's stuff that you want to go at different speeds. Like with if you're doing any sort of billing update, you actually want to be kind of cautious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is where feature flags is, I, I find particularly useful. You enable a billing change like that for one person, and then you watch what happens. You make sure that they're able to do the thing, and and you, know, you, you go very very cautiously. Thanks for wearing your launch Sharkly shirt, Paul. No worries. Feature flags are awesome. It, it looks really good on you, by the oh, way. Thank it, you. It, it matches your haircut. Yeah, thanks. I get really excited the more I talk to our launch Sharkly customers right now, mm-hmm. because I've seen the way just the world has changed, even in the the couple years that we've been around. What are people using Launch Sharkly for that blew your mind, or how perhaps are they are they using it that 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 blew your mind? Uh, I'm pretty jaded, so not much blows my mind, mm-hmm. but um. It's more like I visited a big customer and they said how how much less stressed they were and how less risky their releases were now. Right, right, right. We've been saying this for years that you know, continuous delivery is less risky than than monolithic delivery or uh, stage delivery. What, what did we used to call it when when it wasn't continuous? Waterfall. Sure, waterfall. I think people didn't really believe us. I think there's still a lot of doubt. I think if you draw like a Crossing the chasm type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're still like squirrely in the early adopters. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I think it's starting to move. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Bigger of Circle CI, and Edith Harbaugh of Launch Darkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Mm-hmm.